In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. As we place ourselves in the presence of Jesus, we ask him to help us enter into the mystery of his suffering that marks this most sacred week, that is Holy Week, in preparation for the resurrection. Perhaps I could begin our reflection on the sentiments of Jesus as he accelerates his revelation of his love for each individual. I use a small office in downtown Chicago to give spiritual direction. And usually the schedule is pretty full, but always there are a cancellation. And behind that office building is a public church, St. Peter's, which offers Mass virtually all day during the week. And confessions are available almost throughout the day as well. They provide a wonderful service. At least Friday afternoon, uh, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed in the tabernacle. I give this preamble to say that when there's a cancellation, I take advantage of having that church behind the building I'm in to go to Eucharistic adoration. This is mostly intuition and a bit observation. Many people walk in and out of that church. Always there's a good number of people kneeling down in prayer. And upon walking in, I notice there is a general high anxiety level among the people walking into the church. As they spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, obviously I go there myself for help and strength, I notice a bit observation, mostly intuition, but I think I'm accurate. As time goes by, as they spend time in adoration, clamoring to the Lord for their needs, I notice the collective anxiety level goes down. 
I'm also morally certain as these people, faith-filled people who take advantage of the sacrament of reconciliation, their anxiety level goes down as well. And I think I could speak for everybody who takes advantage of this immediate presence of Jesus in the monstrance. We may ask the question, what does this have to do with Holy Week? It has a lot to do. We need to bear in mind that the passion of Christ that officially begins with his celebrated prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it's the first and only time, if I'm not mistaken, that Jesus explicitly requests that his closest apostles, Peter, who will take charge of the church on Jesus' behalf, the first pope, that special young contemplative who leaned on Jesus' chest, St. John, the youngest apostle, the apostle who will be at the foot of the cross with Mary, and his brother James, who will be the first apostle to die for the faith. And Jesus asked them, will you pray for me? Will you pray with me? Watch and pray. Not just pray. Watch and pray. Not just watch. Watch and pray. It's a unique moment. And it's no mere coincidence that the Holy Spirit would inspire a significant portion of all four Gospels on this last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Perhaps a little bit more. That he would undergo his sufferings immediately after the Last Supper. Even the word Gethsemane has profound symbolism. It's an Aramaic word that means olive press. Kings, prophets, priests would be anointed with olive oil. It signifies kingship. It signifies the priesthood. It signifies the ability to speak and prophesize in God's name. It signifies the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. Christos is a Greek word that means anointed one. Christ also signifies Messiah. He is that olive that is going to be pressed. That pressing of Jesus begins in Gethsemane where he is pressed to that rock. Pressed by sin, pressed by love, pressed by that understandable anguish of embarking upon his suffering, his 
indescribable suffering. This gentle invitation, this gentle command in a certain sense, his last command is to look at the passion, to get into his sentiments, which miraculously have been all spelled out in the Psalms that date at least a thousand years before his birth. And just to get a glimmer of what happened in his mind and heart, what was occurring, we read these words of Psalm 31. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. And there's many psalms that express Jesus' inner sentiments. Watch and pray. His passion begins with intense dread. Perhaps this is the most painful part of this painful odyssey that begins in Gethsemane and ends on Calvary. What happened? We have to bear in mind that Jesus has two minds, a divine mind and a human mind, a divine will and a human will, and they're both in harmony. He is one person, he's not two. And I suspect that he had recourse to his divine mind. It's one person, it's one I, or one me. And in a mysterious way, there's no limit to God's intelligence and to God's love. He contemplated the sins of humanity and every human being. This is the contrary experience of the father in the parable of the prodigal son when the son comes back. We can imagine his anxiety, his sadness, his sorrow that he actually reveals was due to the fact that some would not come back and give him that hug and show that they want to recover their life. The seriousness and gravity of sin, according to Thomas Aquinas, plastered him to the ground. Luke, the evangelist who was a physician, was the one who recorded that he sweated blood. 
His anxiety level was so high that he sweated blood. And Jesus, perfect God and perfect man, man in every sense of the word, began his passion in prayer. Watch and pray. Learn from me. If there's anything you're going to learn from me, it's got to be now. And I want you to pray a certain way. This is going to be the hardest prayer you will ever experience. It's my hardest prayer. It's not a quickie. It's an hour long. Probably the tradition of the holy hour comes from his hour of prayer. I was in the Holy Land last month. I made it by the skin of my teeth, given the pandemic. And I was fortunate enough to go to the Mount of Olives, and within that area is Gethsemane. And it is blanketed with olive trees that are 1,500 years old, You may ask the question, why not 2,000 years old? Because they were sliced down by the Persian invaders in 613. And our guide said, though the olive tree is very resilient, and the olive tree we see today sprouted back up in spite of being cut to the ground, the roots were still very much alive. And there's a rocky platform in that area. It's kind of hard to reconstruct the scene because that area is enclosed in a beautiful church. And within that church, there's a sanctuary and guardrail and all the rest of it. That's where he asked us to pray. And he asked his apostles, and through his apostles, asks us to watch and pray so that we find strength in consolation. Our Lord is telling us that he identifies with our suffering. And not only identifies with it, he will bear most of it. St. Jose Maria, in his teaching, did not want to ever be considered a victim soul. And his advice was that no one consider himself or herself a victim soul. Now, theologically speaking, there are victim souls, people who are Uh, racked with a lot of suffering and and I don't say it lightly but their kind of full-time job is to offer suffering and even that person he says should not be considered himself or herself a victim soul because our Lord is the only victim and he bears our cross we share in his We, we don't in a way, we don't bear our own cross, and it's a fine way to put it, but we share in his. We tag along. 
But in order to tag along, we need to enter into his passion through prayer. Watch and pray. It's not a quickie. Our Lord didn't just sit down and say, Father, help me, and then he was on his way. No, it was a labored prayer, and the apostles found it difficult. They were overcome with sorrow and fatigue. It was late at night or maybe early in the morning. And it was a shocking statement that the Lord makes. Sit here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This phrase reminds me of a book I read uh, by St. Thomas More called The Sadness of Christ. And if my memory does not fail me, it narrates Thomas's last year here in this world, holed up in the Tower of London, awaiting his execution because he would not swear allegiance to Henry VIII, but stated that he needed to obey his conscience and be united with the Pope and the teachings of the Church on marriage. It cost him his life. And at the beginning of his sojourn in that tower, he found himself faltering. He was overcome by dread and fear and sadness, thinking that he was not up to being a martyr, and that there was such a moral distance between him and the Christian martyrs that marked the history of the church. The early Christians, many of them would die with smiles on their faces and chanting and singing psalms, etc., And he felt so inadequate. And he began to succumb, as we would put in modern parlance. A guilt trip started to reflect on his distractions in prayer, his omissions in charity, his worldliness, on and on and on. And that now he was paying the price of his lackluster discipleship. Well, the Lord did not 
let him go, but infused a light in his mind and heart. And he immediately reflected on the words I just read from St. Matthew's Gospel. Jesus was troubled and sad unto death, and that he sweated blood upon contemplating his suffering. That was a game changer for him, that Christ was sad. Christ understood him. Christ was not oblivious to worry, to anxiety, to sadness, to the effects of suffering. Therefore, watch and pray. There's no such thing as a person so weak that he or she cannot share in Christ's cross, provided we watch and pray. Jesus is saying implicitly that there is a grace in watching our Lord's passion prayerfully. There's a presence of Jesus in all his words, in every tiny sector of the gospel, and there's certainly a grace in contemplating the passion. As we do in our prayer, as we do in the Stations of the Cross, as we do in the Five Sorrowful Mysteries. Again, Aquinas says that the Lord did not have to do this. He could have made reparation by just saying, well, I forgive all the much lesser way. The fact that God became human is incredible showering of mercy in itself, let alone his sufferings on the cross. But no, he needed to suffer all that could be suffered to prove a point, how much we're loved. We've been bought at a great price. We don't need to be gifted theologians to understand this. We give gifts to people we love with the intent of giving a gift of a certain value. Perhaps we could use a jewelry example. Perhaps a husband could benefit his wife by giving her a new toaster or maybe, you know, a set of uh, handy tools. But no, if he has the resources, he may want to give her a diamond-studded bracelet. Or the wife may want to give the husband uh, two tickets, one for herself, one for him, for a vacation in Hawaii or the Bahamas. And more than the practical dimension of a gift, the purpose of the gift is to show off. Show off what? 
what I think of you, that I love you, that I take you very seriously, and I want to reveal that love by the sacrifice it took to buy you that expensive present, or that thoughtful present. And it's the thought that counts, it's the sacrifice that counts. Jesus is doing the same thing. I'm going to tell you how much I love you. And so he watched and pray, watch the scourging, watch the crowning of thorns, watch that most painful hike from Gethsemane to Calvary, watch my imprisonment. St. Jose Maria, in his celebrated book, Christ is Passing By, in his Good Friday homily, Christ's death, he says the following, Let us meditate on our Lord, wounded from head to toe, out of love for us using a phrase which approaches the truth, although it does not express it fully, we can repeat the words of an ancient writer. The body of Christ is a portrait of pain. At the sight of Christ bruised and broken, just the lifeless body taken down from the cross and given to his mother. At the sight of Jesus destroyed in this way, we might have thought he had failed utterly. Where are the crowds that once followed him? Where is the kingdom he foretold? But this is the victory, not defeat. We are nearer the resurrection than ever before. We are going to see the triumph which he has won with his obedience. And we conclude our prayer as we customarily do, going to the Blessed Mother. A very special week for her. Her yes that we contemplate when we recite the Angelus has reached a climax at the foot of the cross throughout the ordeal of the Passion. We want to accompany her and St. John the Evangelist and those very holy women. And let's take the liberty to put words in her mouth. Yes, I will accompany you as long as you take heed to my son's last gentle command. Watch and pray. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.